just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to see what you'd have us see from this as we look at this wonderful section of Isaiah that talks about your grace and your mercy to us. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Long time ago, we talked about Isaiah being a very interesting book. It's 66 chapters, and it really is broken down just like the Bible. 39, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are very much legalism and law and all of that, and the last 27 verses are more grace-oriented. And in Isaiah, we can see the gospel message very clearly on many, on many occasions. And this is one of these chapters where we get to see... <laughs> I didn't mean you had to move. <laughs> All right, Isaiah 59, starting at verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perverseness. None calls for justice, nor any plead for truth. They trust in vanity. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and they bring forth iniquity. He is, he, they hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He, he that eats of their eggs dies and that which is crushed breaks out into a viper. The web shall not become, their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are the works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings, and they have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goes therein shall not know peace. This is not a very pretty picture. And this is where Israel was at that time, pretty much where our world is at this time, and especially our country and much of the world. But he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can still reach out. He can still do miracles. And this is the sad thing. There are so many Christians in our day that kind of think that, well, God used to do miracles, but he doesn't anymore. And, you know, that is not a new way of thinking. In Judges, we heard it several times, you know, God, where are you? You used to do all these wonders. Where is the God that used to do all these things we've heard of? You know, and I said just the other day, Right now, we're suffering through plagues and, and weather and storms and stuff that I believe is God trying to wake us up. And most everybody, including most Christians, just go, oh, well, look how bad luck we're having with all this bad weather and these plagues. You know, there's just you know, nothing going, no, no hand involved in this. And yet we look at the Bible and say it was God handling it. And we look at today and say, well, now it's just circumstances. Why are we not seeing it for what it is? Because we aren't looking to find God. And this is very important. Are we looking to see God at action, at, 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 in action? Or are we just kind of struggling along saying, well, God, you know, maybe possibly you'll do something for me. And our problem usually is we look to God and say, okay, God, you did something for me last year, last month, yesterday, but what have you done for me today? And we may not say it that blunt, but usually that is kind of our attitude. God, you, you've done things for me, or worse yet, we don't even recognize that he's done anything for us. And God, when are, you, when are you going to start? And we need to be getting into this place where we look. I love seeing what God has done. I love the miracle of changed lives when God comes into somebody's life and changes them. That's a miracle. You know, when we see somebody that was yesterday, you know, doing everything wrong in their life and now starting to do most of their things right, even though they're not perfect, we see them making big changes. That's a miracle. When God comes in and makes us a new creation and we're not walking in the same garbage that we walked in the day before, that's a miracle. When we reach out and, and say, God has touched me and provided for me, it's a miracle because we don't deserve it. When we give our tithes and offerings to him and he turns around and blesses us with more, 
That's a miracle. It's a miracle that he promised, but it's still a miracle. And I have seen literal miracles where people have been healed of big diseases. Uh, and I, uh, I prayed, prayed with the church one time for a man who was on the heart transport, and the next week, plant list, he was like number 10 on the list, and the next week he came to church, running all around the church, praising God, because there was nothing wrong with his heart. You know, nothing wrong. The doctors couldn't explain it. We knew what it was. I've seen people healed in the middle of asthma attacks and everything that just all of a sudden stop. No, no reason, just stop. Can God do miracles? Yes. He does miracles all the time, and yet we look at him and say, God, you're not hearing, your arm is short, and we need to be careful that we don't limit God. We as humans can limit God through our unbelief. Doesn't mean he can't act, but if we have an unbelieving heart, he won't act. And this is something that is so important for us to understand. Because God has not changed. <laughs> and I love this. This is why I encourage us to read biographies. I want us to be in the Bible to see what God has done. We read biographies and see what God has done in the, in the near future. And then I encourage us, look at our life and see what God has done in our life. And start writing those things down. So that when you're in a place where it seems like God hasn't done anything for you, because when you're in a bad, bad place, we tend to forget the good things. And we can look and say, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, here's my book of remembrance. God did this. God did this. God did this. God did this. And change the way we think by going, oh, yes, God, you're still working. Because what happens, we said it yesterday, when we're in the middle of the trial, God stands back and says, okay, let's see if you're going to trust I'm, you're not going to hear my voice during the middle of this. I'm not telling you what to do in the middle of this because I already told you what to do. And he stands back and a trial comes for us to say, will I trust God in the middle of my trial? And it's not easy sometimes. It's not easy sometimes in the middle of a trial to trust God and say, God, you're going to make everything work out. I know you will. And yet sometimes even when we have that, it's hard to believe that he's going to. God, I'm holding on to it. I sure don't understand how. And we start grumbling and griping. And it's very easy to grumble and gripe and complain just like everybody else. And we need to be careful of that. And then he says in verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. One of the two things that happen when we are in temptation is God is saying, I'm testing you, and I'm stepping back to see what you're going to do. And when we fail, if we don't repent, our sin will separate us from God. And God says, I'm here, but you're not repenting. And then we look at God and say, God, you're too righteous and holy. I can't come near you. And I've seen this over and over in my, in my walk with God, in my walk and around the, around the churches. People start walking down the wrong path. They stop reading the Bible. They stop coming to church. They stop praying. And the next thing you know, they haven't been in church. They haven't been around Christians for months and wonder how they got there. It happened to me when I walked away from God. You know, I didn't purposely walk away from him. I just got busy at work. And then I got into a pity party because nobody called me from church to say they missed me. And then next thing I know, I've been gone for, you know, three months. And now I'm not missing church anymore. And the next thing I know, I've been gone for two years. You know, and not for any big reason. It's just I took my eyes off God and let sin separate me. And it is easy for that. That's why we, as the body of Christ, need to take notice of who's seat is missing in services and in Bible studies and let them know you're missed. You're missed because our words might be just what they need to get back. You know, just a, you were missed. You know, Jonathan told David that your seat will be missed at the, at the, at the royal table. And sure enough, Saul asked, where was David? Now, he got mad at Jonathan when Jonathan answered him, but he was missed. Now, do we miss people in the body when they're, when they're missing? We should. It would just like, be like us taking a finger off of our body and saying, okay, I'm going to put it over there in the corner for a while and, because I don't, need that, I don't need that finger. I don't need that hand. I don't need that arm. I don't need that, that liver in me. I'll just take it out and plug, hang it over there on the shelf. Every part of the body is needed, and we need each other in the body, and we need to be able to recognize that people are missing. 
and say, you know, you're, you've missed, you're missed. Not try to guilt them into coming back in, but just let them know lovingly they were missed. And here it says, your sin is separated. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. When sin separates us, I don't think it's so much that he won't hear. Number one, we won't ask. Because the last thing we want to do is come before a holy God and ask him for anything. Because what does Satan do? You don't deserve anything from him. Oh, you're right. I, I am a terrible, wicked person. Well, Satan, you're absolutely right. I am a terrible, wicked person, but I'm forgiven. And God has paid my sins and clothed me in his righteousness. And yes, in my flesh, I'm a terrible, wicked person. But that's not how God sees me. We need to work on being able to see each other that way where we just say, God loves you and I love you. you know, and you know, a lot of times we won't tell people that they're loved because we're afraid that somehow they're going to think that we're, that we're afraid that they're going to think we're approving of their sin. That doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen that much. People know that when we love them. And a matter of fact, we'll almost convict them of their sin even when we don't say anything. It's like, you guys love me in spite of what I'm doing? You care about me in spite of what I'm doing? You know, and we've all been there where somebody has just said, I've missed you and I, and I care for you even though they, we know that we don't deserve and maybe we know that they deserve to be out to get us. And they still tell us that we're loved. The idea of telling somebody that God loves them and that they are loved is one of the most powerful things that can happen in a church. For people to know that God loves them. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. When we didn't deserve it, when we were his enemy, he died for us. And, you know, we need to get people to understand that God loves them because too many people think God hates them. Because everybody they know seems to hate them. And unfortunately, most of the Christians they know seem to hate them. We need to be able to express God's love to them in a tangible way so they'll know that God loves them. Because if we can at least love them imperfectly, it'll open the door for the God who loves them perfectly. And here God's saying, your sin has separated you. And your sin is separating you so that I don't even hear you. Jesus said, if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive give us. And that is not about salvation. That is about fellowship. If we're not forgiving other people, God will say, fine, I'm not forgiving you. We're not going to be in fellowship. You don't want to be in fellowship with them? We won't be in fellowship. Not that we're going to hell. Once we're saved, we're saved. But God says, we're not in fellowship. He says, when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, which then leads us back into fellowship with him and he's just saying will you forgive will we forgive and you know one of the things about not forgiving somebody is is that we're the prisoner in that situation where the person's not the prisoner they half the time they don't even know they're not forgiven you know it's kind of amazing somebody go well i need to go ask for forgiveness and they go what are you talking about i don't even remember the event that you're you know you've been you've been sad about this for how many decades <laughs> You know, you've been holding, you think I've been holding a grudge for you and been angry at you for how long? And I don't even remember what you're talking about. And yet it's very real to us. And we have been bound up, locked up in a prison because of our unforgiveness. We need to be very careful to forgive, to show love and compassion to people. Because when we're not forgiving somebody, we're definitely not going to be loving to them. You know, we're going to rejoice in everything bad that seems to happen to them. <laughs> they got what they deserve. You know, well, I hope they didn't get what they deserved. And they probably didn't. God's just trying to teach them something and draw, him, draw them to him. So we want to keep this in mind. We need to learn to forgive and ask for repentance on our own sins before God and let him cleanse, and cleanse us. And then he goes on, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversions. These are, these are pretty bad pictures of people. But you know, I don't really think that God's talking about the worst of the worst here. I think he's talking about his people who are being self-righteous more than just being bad. Because all of us are defiled. All of us have done things that are wrong. All of us have told lies. 
You know, I think God is sitting here, and many of us have muttered perverseness. You know, how many times in our loose times, when we're really not thinking about God, have we said things that are a little off color, a little incorrect, just joining in with the crowd, and having just a little bit of fun, you know, innocent fun, as the world calls it, and you're going, no. I have had this happen even when I'm in with other pastors. There are pastors that talk in such ways that it's like, why? Now, they probably don't talk that way in front of their church members, but they get with other pastors, and they just start loosening up their tongues and, and saying dumb things, and it goes, is this really what's in your heart? You know, you've been holding yourself good for your, for your people, and yet now you're going to speak like this? We need to be careful that we are real, yes, but what is in our heart? Jesus says, out of the abundance of our heart, we will speak. And this is why I say, if you really want to know who somebody is and what they do, listen to what they talk about. Does that mean you have to talk about God 24-7? No, people, you'll never get to talk to the world if you talk about God 24-7. But does, do they realize that God is important enough to you? You talk with somebody and all they do is talk about NASCAR, you know that NASCAR is important to them. They talk about sewing, you know that sewing is important to them. And it really doesn't matter what they're talking about. At some point, what's important to them comes out. People talk about their hobbies, their crafts. What do they do in their spare time? And you find out what's important to them. Do we put God in our conversation with people in general? You know, do they know that we are gods and that he's important to us? It's very important for us to do these things. You know, little things, you know, like Sharon, giving out all the tracks and, and bulletins and everything to everybody who comes in our, in our church. You know, other people, that when you talk to them, they're talking about God at some point in their, in their conversations. But it is wonderful when you bring, that people know that you're a Christian. You know, and they know that we are. You know, they know that we're different. They, and, you know, one of the greatest things is if you're walking in the Spirit, you will know who people are that are Christians because the Spirit will connect you. Many times when I would be going to an event, I'm going, God, I don't want to be hanging out with all these people that are drinking and, and being, acting the fool. Where are some Christians? And within a few minutes, I'd find other Christians. And we'd get to talk about the Bible or church or anything other than all the foolishness that was going on around us at these, at these meetings. You know, and God drew us together. God will draw us to other Christians. He will give us the strength, but we also can't just spend all of our time with Christians. We have to be able to get to know the lost world and, and have people to witness to. Verse 4 says, None calls for justice, nor any plead for truth. They trust in vanity, they speak lies, they conceive mischief, and bring forth iniquity. This sounds so much like our world. <laughs> Nobody really wants justice. You know, and this is sad, they, they, what they call justice, which isn't justice. Nobody is speaking or pleading for truth to be heard. And it says they speak lies, they conceive mischief, and then they bring forth iniquity. So they're pregnant with, with iniquity, with, uh, with their mischief, and they produce sin. And this is what sin does in it. It indwells us, it gets into our hearts, and then it hatches out, and it fills our heart into iniquity. And this is the people that, God, that Jesus is talking about, or God is talking about through Isaiah. This is his people that day, and this is our people today. You know, our world does not seek justice. It does not seek truth. Matter of fact, if you speak truth, they make fun of you for speaking truth. And they'll say things like, well, that's your truth. Well, no, truth is truth. And this is what we have to get back to understanding. The world has successfully said that truth is in the eye of the beholder. When truth used to be defined as truth is what is true all the time. You know, and truth is never in the eye of the beholder. If we go up to the top of Windy Peak and step off the cliff, we're going to hit chloride with, you know, with a lot of force as we bounce off the mountain a few times because of gravity. Doesn't matter whether I believe in gravity or not. Say, well, I don't believe that hard, absolute idea that gravity will take me down. I'm just going to walk off this mountain and be okay. You do that, it doesn't matter how hard you believe, you're going to fall. 
It doesn't matter how hard, if you just go to, to the air, airport and you get on a random airplane, it doesn't matter how hard you believe that the airplane's going where you want to go, the greater chance is if you didn't plan it, you're not going where you wanted to go. Because it doesn't matter how hard you believe that that plane's flying to Hawaii when it was taking off and flying to Jacksonville. Okay, it doesn't matter that you believe you're ending up in Hawaii, it's not. Now there's a random chance that you could get just randomly walk on the right airplane, but you understand what I'm saying. If I just randomly jump onto any airplane and, and say, well, I believe this is going where I want to go, I'm most likely not ending up where I want to be. I go out to the highway and I want to go to Vegas and I decide in 93 that I'm going to turn left instead of right. I might eventually end up at Vegas if I decide to make enough turns and, and go the really, really long way, but I'm most likely not going to end up in Vegas. <laughs> you know, this is what's important. Truth is truth, no matter what we believe. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. God is truth. What he says is true doesn't matter what we believe. It doesn't matter what the lost world believes. If we don't believe it's true, it doesn't matter. God doesn't say, well, gee, everybody's, everybody's not believing me. I'm going to have to change my mind. God just says, uh, well, you know, you don't agree. I'm, I'm the ultimate judge. I'm the ultimate authority. And we've got to keep this in mind. When we read the scriptures and we go, God, I just don't. That's hard to understand. God says, of course it is. It's me. And he says, pay attention to what I say. When God says it in the scriptures, it's true. Whether I believe it or not, it's true. Whether, whether I disagree with it, it's still true. And God is not having a hard time at our disagree, disagreement. He's not saying, oh my goodness, so-and-so didn't agree with me. Uh, what am I going to do? You know, they've, got, they've got lots of followers there and they disagree with me. What am I going to do? No, that's not God. God's going to say, well, I want you to get right. You're, you're leading your followers the wrong way. You know, he doesn't change his mind because we don't believe in him. And he says, they hatch cockatrice eggs, and this literally means they hatch serpents. Okay? Cockatrice are a mythological form of a serpent. Uh, and in this case, we, another definition for this would have been serpent. So they, they produce serpent eggs and they weave the spider's net web and they that eat the eggs of the spiders will die and when they break out, they get vipers or serpents. It says, okay, you can eat the eggs of the ser serpent and you're going to end up getting dead because you're eating those eggs. You can let them get into your mind. And you know, one of the sad things about this is how many times do we let little thoughts get into our mind that are going to produce serpents? in our brain. You know, we listen to somebody's negative words about somebody else. And I've asked this several times, you know, and, I, and I always think about it because it's been said to me a couple of times, how many of us have anybody in our life that we don't like that we've never met because, but we don't like them because of what other people have told us about them? We don't know them. We wouldn't know them if we met them in the street, but we don't like them. Because so-and-so has been so negative about them that all I know about them is all these bad things. And then you, it's really funny if you get to meet them and not know who they are, and you really like them, and all of a sudden you go, how, could, how can you like that? That's so-and-so. That's oh, yeah, they're a really nice person. They're not at all like what you've told me. You know, we need to be very careful. This is what happens with gossip when we listen to gossip. It infects us. We may not even believe it the first time we hear it. We may not believe it the second or third time we hear it, but it starts planting seeds of doubt. And then we hear it the fourth, fifth, sixth time and go, wow, maybe there's something to what they're saying. You know, because we allowed a, a bad thought and Satan hits a little bit of a beachhead in our brain about that person or about that thing. And we start listening and we start hearing the hiss of Satan everywhere we go, you know, about things, about people. And you know, when we let Satan in one area of our life, he is a military genius. He, he takes that beachhead we give him and say, okay, you're going to give me this one area of your life. And the next thing you know, he's expanded. And now he's got two or three, four or five. 
And if we were not careful, he'll have our entire way of thinking back again. We need to be very careful to put all our thoughts into captivity, as we're told in, in, uh, in uh, Corinthians. Put all of our thoughts into captivity. Because if we give Satan an inch, he'll take a dozen miles. He won't even take one mile. He'll take a dozen miles in, our, in us. We can't give him anything. And we need to be very careful about that. How do we keep him out? We keep our mind on the word. We keep our mind focused on God. He says, Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works, for their works are the works of iniquity. The act of violence is in their hands. We cannot conceal ourselves with our works. And we talk about this a lot, and he's starting with a negative, but this is true of anything that is ours. And this is the problem that many Christians get into. We know that we're saved by faith. We know that it's only Jesus Christ, and then we try to work our way into God's, God's uh, good will, good graces. And we're going, well, you know, I know, God, you said I'm saved because of what Jesus did for me. But, you know, I just know that I've got to do and fill in whatever it is you feel you have to do. You know, I have to read my Bible. I have to pray you know, an hour a day. I have to come to church every time the hour, you know, doors are open. I've got to be kind to everybody. I've got, yes, all those things are great, but if we're doing it because we're trying to draw favor of God, we're doing it for the wrong reasons, and we'd be better off not doing it. And all those things are good. It is good to read our Bible every day. But if we're going to go and go, well, God, you know, I've got to read my three, verse, my three chapters in today, so here I go. All right, God, yep, here's my check mark. I got my Bible read. Oh, now I've got to read. Oh, okay, God. All right, I've got to pray for my 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 hours, whatever, whatever it is that you're, whatever you think you have to check off. All right, God, did my, did my prayers. Okay, God, yep, Bible study today. I'll be there. All those things are good, and they're going to help us grow. But if we're doing them trying to fill off a checklist for God, we're better off not even doing them because we're doing it for the wrong reason. But if we're doing it to please God? If all we're doing is to please God or to earn his favor, interesting thing, because when I was growing up, I, I know not all of you had good parents. I had good parents, and I tried to do things not to get my parents to like me, but just because I loved my parents so much that I wanted to do what was good. All right? If I'm reading my Bible every day because I just want to get to know more about God and draw closer to him and show him how much I love him, that's one thing. I'm praying, you know, I'm coming to services, I'm doing everything, and I'm doing it because I just want to do what will please him. Not because it will please him, but just I want to please him. I want to do what he's asked me to do. Because God tells us to read our Bible. He tells us to spend time in prayer. He tells us to forsake not our assembling of ourselves. He tells us to do good works. And so if we're doing it for the right reasons, it's fine. But if I'm doing, well, you know, God, I really want to make this, I really want to make this person suffer, but you said I have to be nice to them, so I'm going to be nice to them. Okay, well, all right, great. You're being nice to them. You're going to get some reward. It's better than being mean to them. But it's not what's going to make God like you. He's not going to put, oh, yep, there we go. They, they did well that day. You know, yep, they got up, they read their Bible. Okay, there's my check mark. They did good. That's fine because you're doing it for the consequences that are good that are on it. You're not saying, okay, God, I'm going, I need to read the Bible so that you'll like me. The advantage of being in his word is he's going to change the way we think. Yeah, that. So it is, I would say, I would say make it a habit to read the word, but not with your mentality being, if I don't do this, God's not going to like me, or if I do this, God likes me more. No, but... Sometimes it is just, I do these things because it is what I need to do. God loves me. I know that. So, like, okay, I'll pray. Just because. Not, not because it's going to make him love me, because he already does. But it's because it's something that he would like to do. And there is that place where the habit is important. Okay. But am I reading my Bible? I mean, again, if I'm just going and going, God, I've got to do this, we're you might as well not read your Bible that day because it's not going to get you anywhere anyway. But, you know, should I read my Bible today? Yes, read your Bible. <laughs> you know, don't, 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 don't argue with God about that. Go ahead and read your Bible. Should I pray? Yes, go ahead and pray. Uh, should I go to church? My personal opinion, yes, you go to church unless God's got a good reason because there are times when you may be having something that is more important than coming to church. 
all right? If you have a family that's going on a family camping trip and they haven't been a real family for a long time and they're going to include Sunday, it probably is better for you to go take that camping trip and, and worship God with your family for that day, as long as he becomes part of your, your time with your family, all right? Because uh, people will tell me, well, I can worship God out in the wilderness. Of course you can worship God out in the wilderness. It's not a problem. The question I have with you is, are you? Not can you, but are you? Most people, when they say that, aren't. And here God says they try to cover themselves with their own works, and their works are iniquity. And in a couple chapters is where we're going to see Isaiah tell us that all your righteousness is filthy rags. Two chapters ago, he told us that God will help out the people at the white throne judgment who say, you know, we're just going to tell God how good we are. And God says, okay, fine. I'm going to declare your righteousness and your good works, and they're not going to profit you anything. I love that verse. That one stood out to me for the first time ever. That God says, you think you're going to stand up with your righteousness? Tell you what, I am going to go ahead and declare them for you. I'm going to, I'm going to, sing, them, I'm going to sing forth all your good things that you think you did. And they will be of no profit because they are without faith. And God's saying, yeah, yeah, you fed that person. You, you gave money to that person. You, you didn't beat that person up. You, you, know, you didn't sleep with that person that you, meant to, that you wanted to. You didn't lie to that person. And God will say, here, here's all of your good. Goodbye. You're not perfect. All of that good that you've done, and God will pick things that we never even thought of, and say, okay, I'm, go I'm even going to give you a little extra credit for some of these things that were just borderline. And he goes, it's not good. It's not good enough. This is why we get into his word. We spend fellowship. We spend time being taught so that we can have our mind changed. You know, we are not to conform this to this world, but we are to have our minds changed by the washing and the renewing of the word, Romans 12, 2. You know, not conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed. You know, and I love that word for transformed, metamorpho. It's the butterfly, the caterpillar turning into a butterfly, metamorphosis. And God says, the washing of the word will metamorph you, change you from that worm that we are into the butterfly that God says we are. And he says, the word is what does that. So yes, it's important. If I'm reading the word, though, just to check off a box to say, yes, I got my three chapters done or four chapters or, or one chapter or whatever it is you're trying to read, then you're reading it for the wrong reasons and it's not going to transform you. But yes, there's times when I just say, okay, God, I'm really kind of busy, but I'm going to read, my, read the word anyway. And I read it. And as Sharon said, whatever I read that day is just what I needed to read. This is why I recommend reading in the morning. Because whatever I read that day is what I need for that day. Nothing's worse than being too busy in the morning to read, and then I read it before I go to bed. I'm going, oh, here's the answers for all the people that, I, that asked me these questions and for what I went through. Silly me, I didn't read this morning. <laughs> you know, and that happens more often than not, that whatever I'm reading that day, no matter how bizarre it may seem when I'm reading it, is just what I need for that day. And it's kind of amazing to me that I have the same plan. I have a plan that I read through, and it's whatever I read is whatever. I go verse by verse through the Bible, and yet it seems like whatever book I choose, whatever verse I'm on, is what the church needs to hear. And it's an amazing thing you know, that you go through, and you're on, I'm on a plan, you, you know exactly where I'm going, and yet God will change and put this is what we're going to teach about and, and move on. And he says, your works are the works of iniquity, the acts of violence are in your hand. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their path. Oh, this sounds so much like our world today. Oh, everybody's thoughts are evil. Why? Because of the garbage that we have in our world that is being fed into them. You know, I've been... You know, you all know I don't believe in this COVID-19, and yet last week when I was at the hotel watching TV, I was getting sick. Every commercial was about COVID-19. Every, every news report was about COVID-19. And I'm going, how can people stand watching this? Because I had to turn it off. We look at this and say, where is our thoughts? Do we fill our mind with God's word and his thoughts?
If we do, it's what fills our hearts and we become more like him with each passing time, moment. Uh, you know, and our world is running to do evil. All of their thoughts are toward evil. You know, it's amazing when I sit around with different groups of people in the, at, at work. I don't do it often because it drives me nuts. But listening to what they thought a fun night was. And they're bold about what they thought was a fun night. You know, they'll talk about how they got so drunk they couldn't remember anything that they did. They'll talk about their new partners for, you know, that they just dumped the other one and now have a new partner, which you're going to be dumping in another week or two. You know, uh, how they're moving around from house to house to be with their new, their new, new, new partners. And it's like, do any of you ever get into God's word? You know, homosexuality is running rampant in our world led to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, led to the destruction of the, before the days of Noah. It leads to the destructions of nations. All through history, the last stage of judgment comes when the nation starts getting so lazy that it starts with adultery and fornication and ends up with adultery and God judges the nations. All through history, every great empire has fallen when they get to the point of homosexuality reigning and God brings judgment he's very tolerant because there's not much further you go beyond beyond homosexuality well that's the same thing though yep it's always been out there in the in the worship of the fertility gods and goddesses the female uh, prostitutes would dress up as men the men would dress up as women sleep with whoever and whatever, it didn't matter. Homosexuality ran, homosexuality ran rampant in the fertility gods. That's why God said women shall not wear men's clothes and men shall not wear women's clothing because it was part of the fertility orgy activities. Huh? The Pentateuch. I'll, go with, I'll show, you, show you the exact ones. He says it several times. Now when we say that we don't mean that women can't wear pants. All right. I, I had one pastor just go by rape because a woman came to the, came to the church. And he's going, women shouldn't wear pants. And I turned to him. I'm going, all right, I tell you what, the day I catch you wearing her, her style of pants, I'll believe that those are pants for, that those are men's pants. And he just looked at me like, what? I go, those are cut for women. Those are women's pants. You know, so we need to be very careful with that. You know, uh, but you know, we need to be very careful with how we apply these things. You know, people go, you can't have tattoos, and they'll point to the verse in the Bible in the Pentateuch that says, do not put marks on your Bible, on your body. Well, those marks are religious marks for your deities and your gods. Now, we have some people that are still violating that in today's world, but most tattoos don't violate that principle. Now, I'm not a big fan of tattoos and everything on a body, but, I mean, I'm not going to be able to use the scriptures for that to defend that. Uh, I've got several of my kids have tattoos, unfortunately. You know, I decided. And that's fine. Yeah. If God uses it and says don't do it, then, then specific. it's specific for you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. yeah. I am not a big fan of tattoos and, yeah. and marking up the body, you know, especially if you get them at an early age and they start stretching out and getting ugly as you get older. Uh, or you put certain things on your body that you're ashamed of later on when God convicts you that that, that uh, particular picture or name or, or whatever shouldn't be on your body. Uh, so, but I'm not going to say that's between each individual and God. And can't use that one verse to use as a, as a hammer on them. Uh, yes, I would tell people, this is what God says, don't mark your body and let them deal with it from that point. But if somebody has a tattoo, it's not the end of the world. They're not going to hell. It's not even a, a sin necessarily. So, you know, we, we want to be very careful with that, you know, because this is where God's at with it. You know, if somebody is divorced, there's a lot of churches that tell somebody if they're divorced, they can't even be a deacon or a teacher in a church because they'll go, it says you have to be the husband of one wife. Well, that's ex I believe it was a pro prohibition against polygamy. Because God's grace is such that just because somebody has committed a sin does not mean God's going to throw them away. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. 
if he's called you to be a pastor and just because you got divorced 30 years before, 20 years before, does not mean that you can't be a pastor, in my opinion. Now, if you have lots and lots of wives and you can't manage to keep your wife, now we've got a different problem because he said you had to also be a good family person. You know, so if you can't take care of your wife and you keep dumping your wives or they keep dumping you, then you've got another problem that says, no, you're not qualified. But it's not the one wife <laughs> principle. You know, so we look at these things and say, God, what is it that you want us to learn from this? His grace is always overarching. There is no sin in our life that will keep us from serving God if we repent. And this is important because I know people that go, I have done so much bad, you know, I used to follow God and I have done so much bad that God will never forgive me. And I say, show me the verse that tells you that. And I know if they're from certain denominations, I know what verse they're going to go and I have to correct the verse that they talk about. Because there is one verse that tends to kind of maybe sound like if you've lost your salvation, you can't get it back. And that's the problem. If you could lose your salvation, you can't get it back. It would make no sense. You know, you were so bad somehow that God took your eternal salvation away, you would not get it back. But my point on that is God gives us eternal life. You know, by definition, eternal life is eternal. You know, and body dies and we still have eternal life. We have eternal life the moment Jesus Christ comes into our life and that eternal life starts right then. And God is not an Indian giver saying, okay, well, you don't deserve eternal life anymore, so I'm taking your eternal life away. And yet there are so many Christians that just can't understand that salvation is by grace. When they say that you can lose your salvation, they are inherently saying they don't believe that they were saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. Because they're saying, I got saved by God's grace and grace alone, but I've got to keep myself? No. You know. Now, I keep myself in fellowship by staying close to God. I can have no fellowship with him, as we talked about earlier. I can let sin so much get into my life that I have no fellowship with God and don't feel his forgiveness because he hasn't forgiven me of my day-to-day -day consequences. But he has not thrown away my salvation. If I'm not saved, I was never saved. And this is something we have to be aware of. We're either saved or we're not saved. It's not, I was saved and now I'm not. It's like, well, and people go, well, the people could choose not to be saved. No, once I put my hands in God's hands, Jesus says, you're in my hands and I'm in, and, and I'm in the Father's hands. Even if somehow we could jump out of Jesus' hands, we're going to jump into the Father's hands. You know, and number one, we couldn't jump out of his hands because he's God. But somehow, if maybe somehow I got out of Jesus' hands, I'd be jumping right into the Father's hands. You know, so we need to keep this in mind. Now, don't, don't say this so people go, well, I said a prayer when I was three years old, so I'm okay. Well, maybe, maybe not. Did you mean that prayer when you were three years old or 10 years old or 13 years old or 18 years old or 33 years old? Did you mean what you said? Did you fully trust in Jesus? And this is the important thing. I can say the right words. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross. Come in my life and save me. All those words are the right words, but they're not abracadabra, you're saved. You know, if I say those prayers, but I don't believe that I'm a sinner, I could say those words all day long and not be saved. If I don't believe that Jesus died for my sins, died for my sins, it doesn't matter that I said that prayer. If I don't believe that he is the only way of salvation, it doesn't matter whether I said those words. But when I believe them, he comes in, makes me a new creation, and I am saved. And don't have to worry about it at any other point. And I've shared this with you all so many times. I know that I know that I'm saved because Jesus changed me when he came into my life. I was only 10 years old, but he changed me and he has been changing me for the 48 years since. I know that I know that I'm saved. Have there been times when I've wondered? Eh, for a short time, because Satan attacked, and you know, I wasn't in good fellowship, but you know, I'm going, no, God changed me. I know. I know where I am. 
And when God changes you, you know that he has changed you. You know that he took the, the weight off your back. If you don't know it, then you need to sit down with him and pray and say, God, I need you to really come into my life and, and I trust that you're the only way to heaven and I need you. And really, truly believe it. Because that's all that comes down to it because the feet run to evil. Verse 8 says, The way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made themselves crooked paths Wherever they go, therein shall they not know peace. Those that want to live in evil cannot know peace. And those of us who are, got saved at a later life know exactly what that is. We never felt that peace. When we talk to people, they don't know that peace. They're, they're enjoying their drinking and their drugging and their sin, but they're not enjoying it. They know it's wrong deep down in their heart. They know that it's not right. They're, they're not finding the peace that they thought they would find. Those who go into workaholism and get to be the top of the business world, make lots and lots of money, lots of fame, get there and realize that the peace they thought they were going to get by being on top of the world isn't there because it isn't filling them up. They're not looking for justice. They're not looking for God's judgment. And they make crooked paths. You know, I have watched people climb the corporate ladder and stomp on people on their way up and watch them fall just as fast because of the way they treated people. In the, and you know, they get what comes around. God always brings consequences into people's lives. If we wait long enough and patient enough, God will bring judgment upon these people that we think are getting away with it. David asked, you know, several times in several of the Psalms, God, why are you blessing all these people? Look at all the bad things they're doing. And each time God says, just wait. Just wait. You're going to see that they don't have what they thought they had. They aren't happy. They're not satisfied. Just wait. You think they're there. They're, they're, and we sometimes will do the same thing. God, look at that person. They've got everything. They've got money. They've got the house. They've got... They've got fame. Everybody knows their name. Everybody loves them. They're being followed around by everybody. And we think they've got everything. And then we read about them committing suicide. Or being drug addicted or, or alcohol addicted because it just didn't fit. And we're thinking they have everything. And we look at them fall. You know, we need to take our pleasure in God and know that he has everything in control and that there is peace in God. Without God in our life, there is no peace. You know, if we, you know, there's an old phone that says, no Jesus, no peace. And then, and then it says, no Jesus, no, you know, uh, no, no, uh, no, no Jesus, no peace, or no Jesus. And, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no K-N-O-W, peace. Without Jesus, we will not know peace. With Jesus, we will know peace. Even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense to have peace, God will give us peace that passes understanding because our trust is in him. God, you know, this is really the most terrible place I've ever been. My family always being mean and nasty. My, my job is mean and nasty. My car is breaking down. Uh, my, my bank account is minus, minus $100. God, how can this be peaceful? And God says, just trust me. Just trust me. And we put our trust in him and watch him fix everything. You know, have you ever gotten mad about something and then regretted getting mad about something later on when you threw a fit and then you watched how God fixed it anyway in spite of what you did? You, know, you, you, you threw a fit, you drew, you drew so much attention to this that you weren't trusting God and God still, out of his grace, fixed it for you anyway. And you end up feeling about so small. <laughs> you, know, you feel not even, not even an inch or a centimeter. You feel a negative negative uh, height out of it because you're going, man, God, I really blew it and yet you had grace to fix the problem because of the peace that he brings into us. Our job is to just learn to trust him. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. I've shared with you, when I was living by faith before I got my job at the prison, 
I had to do a lot of hard work to get my money. Now, God always provided the little job that paid for the bill, and sometimes he just gave me gifts. But I worked hard, you know, doing little job here, little job there, you know, being available for jobs, and God would provide. You know, sometimes trusting God is hard work. But we don't panic and struggle to find those answers. God just says, here it is. I go, okay, God. You know, it's, it's like the story of the person who prayed for God to rescue them from the flood. You know, I think you've all heard it. The truck drives up and says, you know, we're here to rescue. And oh, go, God's going to take care of me. You know, up to their doorway, up at the top of their hill, the boat comes along. You know, oh, no, God's going to take care of me. They're on their roof and a speedboat comes along and God's going to take care of me. Helicopter comes, no, God's going to take care of me. And they get to heaven and go, God, why didn't you take care of me? Well, I sent you a car, two boats, and a helicopter. What more did you want? You know, this is true, though. We laugh about it, but how often do we do this kind of thing with God? God, you're going to take care of me, and we ignore every opportunity he gives us to take advantage of being taken care of because we're looking for some supernatural thunderclap that says, you know, God, here I am. God says, here I am. This is my answer. And we're not looking for the simple answers that he puts before us you know trusting in God does not mean we don't do anything we don't take it you know doesn't mean we ignore the the car boat and the helicopter we take advantage of them and live in that peace that he's providing for us you know and this is important for us we turn away from the evil we trust God and we get into his word and we let him change the way we think and then we live in the peace that he gives us. Because without him, there is no peace. All right. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you to help us to get to know your peace, know you, and, and follow you in all that we do. We ask you to be showing us that. Lord, teach us to always look to you, to live in your peace, to live in your word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.